0: Chapter 41 of Middle March This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 41. By swaggering could I never thrive, for the rain it raineth every day. Twelfth night. The transactions referred to by Caleb Garth as having gone forward between Mr. Bulstrode and Mr. Joshua Rigg Featherstone concerning the land attached to Stone Court had occasioned the interchange of a letter or two between these personages. Who shall tell what may be the effect of writing? If it happens to have been cut in stone, though it lie face down most for ages on a forsaken beach, or rest quietly under the drums and tramplings of many conquests, it may end by letting us into the secret of usurpations, and other scandals gossiped about long empires ago, this world being apparently a huge whispering gallery. Such conditions are often minutely represented in our petty lifetimes, as the stone which has been kicked by generations of clowns may come by curious little links of effect under the eyes of a scholar, through whose labours it may at last fix the deed of invasions and unlock religions. So a bit of ink and paper, which has long been an innocent wrapping or stopgap, may at last be laid open under the one pair of eyes which have knowledge enough to turn it into the opening of a catastrophe. To Uriel, watching the progress of planetary history from the sun, the one result would be just as much of a coincidence as the other. Having made this rather lofty comparison, I am less uneasy in calling the attention to the existence of low people, by whose interference, however little we may like it, the course of the world is very much determined. It would be well, certainly, if we could help to reduce their number, and something might perhaps be done by not lightly giving occasion to their existence. Socially speaking, Joshua Rigg would have been generally pronounced a superfluity, but those like Peter Featherstone, never had a copy of themselves demanded, are the very last to wait for such a request, either in prose or verse. The copy in this case bore more of outside resemblance to the mother, in whose sex, frog features, accompanied with fresh-coloured cheeks and a well-rounded figure, are compatible with much charm for a certain order of admirers. The result is sometimes a frog-faced male, desirable, surely to no order of intelligent beings, especially when he is suddenly brought into evidence to frustrate other people's expectations, the very lowest aspect in which a social superfluity can present himself. But Mr. Rig Featherstone's low characteristics were all of the sober, water-drinking kind. From the earliest to the latest hour of the day he was always sleek, neat and cool as the frog he resembled and old peter had secretly chuckled over an offshoot almost more calculating and far more imperturbable than himself i will add that his finger nails were scrupulously attended to and that he meant to marry a well-educated young lady as yet unspecified whose person was good and whose connections in a solid middle-class way were undeniable thus his nails and modesty were comparable to those of most gentlemen though his ambition had been educated only by the opportunities of a clerk and accountant in the smaller commercial houses of a seaport he thought the rural featherstones very simple absurd people and uh, they in their turn regarded his bringing up in a seaport town as an exaggeration of the monstrosity that their brother peter and still more peter's property should have had such belongings the garden and gravel approach, as seen from the two windows of the wainscoted parlour at Stone Court, were never in better trim than now, when Mr. Rigfeatherstone stood with his hands behind him, looking out on his grounds as their master. But it seemed doubtful whether he looked out for the sake of contemplation, or of turning his back to a person who stood in the middle of the room with his legs considerably apart and his hands in his trouser pockets, a person in all respects a contrast to the sleek and cool rig he was a man obviously on the way towards sixty very florid and hairy with much grey in his bushy whiskers and thick curly hair a stoutish body which showed to disadvantage the somewhat worn joining of his clothing and the air of a swaggerer who would aim at being noticeable even at a show of fireworks regarding his own remarks on any other person's performance as likely to be more interesting than the performance itself his name was john raffles and he sometimes wrote jocosely w a g after his signature observing when he did so, that he was once taught by Leonard Lamb of Fensbury, who wrote BA after his name, and that he, Raffles, originated the witticism of calling that celebrated principal Ba Lamb. Such were the appearance and mental flavour of Mr Raffles, both of which seemed to have a stale odour of travellers' rooms in the commercial hotels of that period. Come now, Josh, he was saying in a full rumbling tone. Look at it in this light. Here is your poor mother going into the vale of years, and you can afford something handsome now to make her comfortable. Not while you live. Nothing would make her comfortable while you live, returned Rig in his cool high voice. What I give her, you'll take. You bear me a grudge, George, that I know. But come now. As between man and man without humbug, a little capital might enable me to make a first-rate thing of the shop. The tobacco trade is growing. I should cut my nose off in not doing the best I could at it. I should stick to it like a flea to a fleece for my own sake. I should always be on the spot, and nothing would make your poor mother so happy. I've pretty well done it with my wild oats, turn fifty-five. I want to settle down in my chimney corner, and, if I once buckle to the tobacco trade, I could bring an amount of brains and experience to bear on it that would not be found elsewhere in a hurry. I don't want to be bothering you one time after another, but to get things once for all into the right channel. Consider that, Josh, as between man and man, and with your poor mother to be made easy for her life. I was always fond of the old woman, by Jove. Have you done? said Mr. Rigg, quietly, without looking away from the window. Yes, I'm done, said Raffles, taking hold of his hat which stood before him on the table, and giving it a sort of oratorial push. Then just listen to me. The more you say anything, the less I shall believe it. The more you want me to do a thing, the more reason I shall have for never doing it. Do you think I mean to forget your kicking me when I was a lad and eating all the best victual away from me and my mother? Do you think I forgot your always coming home to sell and pocket everything and going off again, leaving us in the lurch? I should be glad to see you whipped at the cart tail. My mother was a fool to you; she had no right to leave me a father-in-law, and she's been punished for it. She shall have a daily allowance paid and no more and that shall be stopped if you dare to come on to these premises again or to come into this country after me again the next time you show yourself inside the gates here you shall be driven off with the dogs in the waggonish whip as riggs pronounced the last words he turned round and looked at raffles with his prominent frozen eyes the contrast was as striking as it could have been eighteen years before when Rig was a most unengaging, kickable boy, and Raffles was the rather thick set adonis of bar rooms and back parlours. But the advantage now was on the right side of Rig, and auditors of this conversation might probably have expected that Raffles would retire with the air of a defeated dog. Not at all. He made a grimace, which was habitual from him whenever he was out in a the game, then subsided into a laugh and drew a brandy-flask from his pocket come josh he said in a cajoling tone give us a spoonful of brandy and a sovereign to pay the way back and i'll go on a bride i'll go like a bullet by jove mind said Rink, drawing out a bunch of keys if i ever see you again i shan't speak to you i don't own you any more than if i saw a crow And if you want to own me, you'll get nothing by it but a character for being what you are, a spiteful, brassy, bullying rogue. That's a pity now, Josh, said Raffles, affecting to scratch his head and wrinkle his brows upward, as if he was nonplussed. I'm very fond of you, by Jove I am. There's nothing I like better than plaguing you. You're so like your mother, and I must do without it but the brandy and the sovereign's a bargain. He jerked forward the flask, and Rig went to a fine old oaken bureau with his keys. But Raffles had reminded himself by his movement with the flask that it had become dangerously loose from its leather covering, and catching sight of a folded paper which had fallen within the fender, he took it up and shoved it under the leather so as to make the glass firm. By that time, Rick came forward with a brandy bottle, filled the flask, and handed Raffles a sovereign, neither looking at him nor speaking to him. After locking up the bureau again, he walked to the window and gazed out as impassibly as he had done at the beginning of the interview, while Raffles took a small allowance from the flask, screwed it up, and deposited it in his side pocket with provoking slowness, making a grimace at his stepson's back. Farewell, Josh, and if for ever, said Raffles, turning back his head as he opened the door. Riggs saw him leave the grounds and enter the lane. The grey day had turned to a light drizzling rain, which freshened the hedgerows and the grassy borders of the by-roads and hastened the labourers who were loading the last shocks of corn. Raffles, walking with the uneasy gait of a town loiterer obliged to a bit of country journeying on foot, looked as incongruous Amid this moist rural quiet and industry, as if he had been a baboon escaped from a menagerie. But there were none to stare at him except the long winged calves, and none to show dislike of his appearance except the little water rats which rustled away at his approach. He was fortunate enough when he got on to the high road to be overtaken by the stagecoach, which carried him to Brassing and there he took the new-made railway, observing to his fellow-passengers that he considered it pretty well seasoned, now it had done for Huskisson, Mr. Raffles on most occasions kept up the sense of having been educated in an academy, and being able if he chose to pass well everywhere. Indeed there was not one of his fellow-men, whom he did not feel himself in a position to ridicule and torment, confident of the entertainment which he thus gave to all the rest of the company. He played this part now, with as much spirit as if his journey had been entirely successful, resorting at frequent intervals to his flask. The paper with which he had wedged it was a letter signed Nicholas Bulstrode, but Raffles was not likely to disturb it from its present useful position. End of chapter 41 Recording by Andy from Inverning M.E.L.Y.S dot w s